Hello and welcome to the Explorer's Journal, the first, and thus the best, Arc World podcast. Join me south of the Drakens Fall and north of the Jernspeak. Join me from the farthest western point of Esandaluca to the eastern shores of Halvamain. The mages in the Mildark provide me the room and the magic at Mount Orion to project my voice all around the world of Archimundi Altius. On today's episode of the Explorer's Journal, it's the pilot. That's right, episode zero. We're going to try to cover some very basic things, kind of test out the waters, and see how the community feels about this podcast. So let's start. Let's talk a little about me. I'm my favorite subject, so I have a lot to say. But for the interest of time, we'll keep it simple. Uh, my name is Nick, and I'm a native New Yorker. I've been around the Arc World Facebook pages for quite a while now. But here are some things you don't know about me. One thing, in my spare time, I like to volunteer at a local cat shelter, and I'm hoping to be able to volunteer at more animal shelters when I have the time to. Another fun thing is that I worked in a cemetery for three years. Uh, I recently quit to become a student again. Um, I graduated college in 2014. It wasn't working out, so I went back to school. And then a third thing is that I'm a very avid reader. I try to read the entire Discworld series at least once every two years. You know, it's something I really enjoy, and I'm happy Arcworld kind of takes the essence of those books and puts it into a game. It's really cool. And now that you know a little about me, let's talk about my history with gaming and board games and tabletop games. So I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons since the end of 3rd edition, which means I've been playing for 18, now going on 19 years. Uh, I was also a pretty avid Magic the Gathering player, which it's not a war game, it's a card game, there's no miniatures, whatever. Uh, but I played that from about 2004 to 2013-ish, uh, when I decided that I wanted to have a bank account again. The game that got me started in mini wargaming is probably Heroescape by Milton Bradley, which was then owned by Wizards of the Coast. I've owned the game since about 2004, and I started seriously playing it in 2008. And it's a pre-painted plastic miniatures game with a completely customizable hex-based system. It's so fun. I totally recommend people look into it and see what it's all about. Now, normally I'd edit out that crying, but that's one of my co-hosts, uh, my cat Binks. And he's he gets very excited when he uses his litter box. So sometimes you might hear him in the background. Sometimes you might hear my other cat, Miss Raven, in the background. We'll see. But moving on, my number one game since about 2012 was War Machine by Privateer Press. I play the Protector of Menoth, and I like when factions present a puzzle, whether it's a puzzle for you to create for your opponent or one that you have to create yourself where you're buffing yourself and stacking buffs or stacking debuffs or anything of the sort. For a brief while, uh, I played Guild Ball for the first season, so 2016 to 2017, and I played the Mortician's Guild. And what I liked most about that game was the small model count, but each model was fairly effective in what it did. Which leads me to my next game, Malifaux, by Weird Games. I played that for in 2017, uh, pretty much just for the year. I played the Rezzers, and I quit when they changed the additions because I quite liked playing Nicodem as my master. And he got cut from the game, but, you know... You take what you can, and then when it stops being fun, you stop doing it, right? And the last sort of major game I'll bring up is Free Blades by DGS Games, which I started playing at Captain Con in 2018. Uh, it's another small model count game where you usually don't have more than a dozen minis. Uh, the game actually, in the rules, you can't have more than 18 minis, 
So it's really nice, really easy to get into, really compact, and they're beautifully sculpted and crafted. It's it's a great game that more people should know about. Other than that, there are various games I've tried and played less than five times, maybe, uh, that feature miniatures like Space Hulk, Warhammer, Warhammer 40k, Fantasy, all those. Frostgrave, uh, D&D Attack Wing, which I played once and it was pretty fun. Star Wars Legion, which I have unpainted. Uh, Axis and Allies, if you want to count that. Then like Battlemaster, which is older than a lot of people listening right now, maybe. And uh, Summoner Wars, which I probably played three times, but every time is just as fun as the time before it. So it holds up pretty well. Which brings me to my next topic. Uh, what kind of hobby experience do I have? Well, I can tell you now, I'm not the best painter. I could color in the lines, but I don't paint eyes. They're just too small for me to do properly and be happy with. I've made some attempts to paint like teeth and mouths, but usually I'll just do a nice dark wash over it to get all the recesses and call it a day on that. Um, I just started learning how to base recently. I just based my halflings and my elves, so I'm kind of happy with how that turned out, even if I messed up the static grass. I usually spend way too much time cleaning models, even more than I have to. Sometimes it could ruin some details, but you know, you live and you learn. You keep doing it and you keep getting better at it. But really, I don't do a lot of the big hobby stuff like pinning or two brush blending or anything super major. Uh, I want stuff to look good on the tabletop and I don't want to spend too much time doing it because I like to do other things too, but I do enjoy painting the Arcworld minis. Speaking of, we should probably talk about Arcworld now, huh? It is an Arcworld podcast after all. So one of the things that got me into Arcworld was I found it on accident. I was on Kickstarter getting ready to kickstart another miniature skirmish game, and then I saw on the side with the related projects this fantastic, humorous, hand-sculpted work, and I clicked on it, and I just saw so much information on the Kickstarter and the how-to-play guides, I fell in love with the rule set immediately. In fact, I backed it at the 80-pound level for the early bird hero. It was a birthday present from me to me, because the minis were delivered July 13th, and my birthday is July 24th. So I've been playing Arcworld since the week of July 13th, a lot of it against myself, because Corona happened, and then sometimes I'll play with people when they could stop by. I've probably played about 20 games with other people, but probably closer to 150 with myself. I guess I like to play with myself a little bit. And you know what? It's for a good reason. There's a lot to like about Arcworld. I love the sculpts, they're full of character, there's so much detail in them, and they're hand sculpted. It's putty pushing, it's green stuff molding, it's all of that good stuff. Each faction has so much diversity in the characters, especially a faction like the Beast Folk. Like, there's so many different ways you can go about making a Beast Folk character. I love how it's such a small team making such a big thing. Like, it's such a good game for the price point. There's so many models, but not too many, so it's easy to get into right now. It makes it easy to paint everything that you have, so you never really feel like you're falling behind in your painting, like I might be right now. You Also, you get to roll a lot of dice, but you don't roll too many dice. One of the things I hated about 40k was that you'd roll 100 dice and have to count through them. In Arcworld, the most dice I've rolled was probably 15. And, you know, that's fun. It's nice to see so many dice on the table, and you don't have to do that either. You could use strategies to roll less dice, but then those less dice might do more things, you know? There's so many options in the game, and it's such a small rulebook that gives you so much to play around with. A lot of sculpts are also just one piece, which makes them so easy to clean and assemble. It makes it fun to do. It doesn't 
require you to make a whole MacGyver contraption, hold the model in place while you wait for this tiny little joint to glue to the tiny little hole that it has to fit into, and then you bump it and it breaks anyway. And then you have to try to glue it again, but the glue takes off the paint, so you have to keep going back and forth fixing paint and glue, and it's a nightmare. It's such a nightmare sometimes. But that's not all. A game that has multiple victory conditions makes a stronger game. If it was just kill them all, then there are strategies that people can employ that ruin the fun, like hiding a mini at the edge of the board and chasing them around the board for an hour, but you know, victory points are such a good thing to have in any minis game. And in this game especially, it's such a compact board. A three foot by three foot play area is nothing. That's a kitchen table. And you don't even need that much terrain to fill that out. It's really, really nice. It's so cheap to get into, cheap to stay into, and it's just fun. It's so much fun. Like Anyone that doesn't know about this game should, because it is great. It's a great time. You will never be disappointed in a game of Ark World. It's not made to let you be disappointed in it. Heck, even if you don't like Ark World, you can still use the minis to play other games. Like, the halflings fit so good in D&D, or in Warhammer, or whatever. Like, it's so good. The sculpting is top-notch, and they're doing such a great job making this game. And there are things I love about this game, like the feet system, which I'm going to have a podcast dedicated just to that, probably, because there's so many little things you can do. It's so in-depth. The game is so easy to play. The rulebook is barely five pages when you condense it down in little, little pages, but it's so hard to master. There are so many options and things you can do. There's an ability to mix factions, which is huge, which means you don't have to stay with one faction. And if you buy another faction for your friends and they quit, it doesn't mean you wasted that money. Like, I can play the halflings with the humans, I can play the undead with the beastmen. You can mix it up however you want and make the game what you want it to be. And the biggest thing I love is just the presence of Alex and Warplock in general in the community. It's such a nice thing. It's so refreshing to see that a company is engaging with their fans in the way that they are. You see them on Facebook every day answering questions, making comments, commenting on posts. It's fantastic. That company is great. But it would be remiss of me to not mention that I do think there are some problems in areas that they can improve. The number one thing for me is that a couple of sculpts, especially the Beastfolk Packmaster and some of the Vermin, have minor aesthetic issues. Now, you won't even notice that on the tabletop from a foot away, two feet away, three feet away. Heck, I got the models about a foot and a half away from me and I don't see it here, but up close, some things are just... It's mm, all I could say. Uh, the Beastfolk, maybe it's just a thing with the metal. I don't have the resin pieces to compare, but... I would bet, based on what I know about the resin casting, that those issues are not present. And then some details get lost on some models, like the Imperial kneeling with the rifle. If you look under the rifle, you can see that there's just some detail that is missing on that, uh, which is just a casting thing. You don't even notice it looking at him from the right way up. You have to really look for something like that, which I'm okay with. But the most important problem is that there's a lack of structures in this game. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty big on the structures, you know. I don't know, it could be a me thing, but I'd like to see them there. Maybe I'm a little biased, but you know, we'll get it when we get it, right? And Alex has a lot of work in front of him, we're not gonna pressure him too much about any of that. So when I play Arc World, what else does it make me think of? It makes me think a lot of 
the simplicity of HeroScape where there's a few stats and a few options, but such a deep toolkit and such a deep ability to play. And the customization options of Freeblades where you have a base model and then you could buy the equipment for it and the stats could change. Uh, there's so much to it. And sure, it's not as complex as other games I've played like War Machine, but the feat system makes it feel so much more free. It's liberating to use that feat system and you could really make something very complicated happen in uh, not a lot of time at all with just the right amount of creative thought. It's fantastic. I, I don't think I could say anything bad about the feat system at all. It's also one of the cheapest mini skirmish games out there. You can get a full faction for about as much as a single unit in other games. And it really feels like you're playing a story that Sir Terry Pratchett wrote where there are these big moments of great things that can happen and then these big moments of great failure depending on how the dice are with you and depending on your imagination and what you make of the game. It's really a game that if you put in any effort to enjoy it, you will enjoy it way more than the effort you put in. I mean, at the current release, there's five factions to choose from with two more definitely on the way and another two more coming as soon as possible. Probably 2021 the way that the Kickstarter roadmap looked. And let's talk a little bit about the factions. Each one's going to get their own episode in the future. But we'll start with the Halflings. Now the Halflings, they're typically cheaper and weaker than other models in the line. So what they're going for is strength in numbers. And a lot of their gear can shore up the weakness of individual heroes and characters. They also have the Thing Flinger to provide some ranged offense because their ranged offense without it is a little lacking, especially because their ranged weapons are 12 inch and do 5 damage. And now you can compare that to a faction like the Beast Folk, where the big guys are pretty strong to begin with, but they have the potential to be even stronger with animal forms, with spells. Animal forms is such a huge part of that faction. You want to pick the form for the battle. You want to go in knowing what form you want to use. You want to go in knowing which buffs you want to put on each individual model. It's such a diverse faction where you could have the big hitters protected and escorted into the fight by the little guys, and it makes it so fun to play them. There's so much potential in that faction, which is similar to the Wood Elves, where they want to do heavy attrition by summoning weaker models to protect their strong models. They're extremely mobile with almost global agile to keep them out of harm's way and they can summon wood fiends and lichen hawks where they pelt you from afar with their bows and their ranged weapons which also contrasts nicely with the undead raiders they're my favorite faction let's start there i'm a little biased there too the rats are a fantastic screen of weaker models that help your heavy hitters come in and raise the dead allows for serious attrition potential where a model's not dead until you really really fail to bring it back it's a fantastic faction. The models are also cheaper. They're a nice in-between between the wild elves and the halflings in a way. And they also have some good range potential, but not as much as the last faction will go over swiftly. The Imperials, which are the newest faction. They have such a good potential for big damage at long ranges. As long as the dice cooperate and you can keep rolling successes. Chain activating is pretty cool with them. The make and give orders is pretty great. And they also have a lot of reroll abilities, so you don't miss as often as you'd think you would. There are also the Swords for Hire. There's not too much to say about them yet because there's only two. But you have Rabin Tude, who is great against beasts. He's still a halfling, but he can provide a lot of support and sustain out of the halfling faction. Uh, the Explorer has so much potential as long as he doesn't get himself knocked out. 
and both of them are fairly cheap to include in a warband. Uh, the Explorer might be a little expensive at lower point values, but as the points go up, he just gets better and better, and I think he has the best potential in the game to be one of the stronger models, especially with his spellbook and how that plays into the game, too. And you know what? I think the future of this game is bright. I have some hopes for it. My biggest hope is that there are bits released so we can customize our own minis more in a visual way. Uh, you know, releasing Arclock pistols on their own, or horns and tusks for the beast folk, or anything else you can think of. Maybe taking some of those 3D printed models and making armor for them so they could be included, especially the ogres. I would love to have bits of Albionic in armor that I could put on those 3D printed ogres. I need to get a 3D printer first, of course, but it'd be so cool. It'd be really nice to see something like that. I would also love to see stats for the various models that we can 3D print that don't currently fit into an established unit yet. You know, there are a couple of them that, especially the mounted Bollywogs, they would look so cool in the game, but they don't currently have rules made for them. And that brings me to my last topic of the day. What's this podcast doing? What's it all about? Well, at some point, I'd like to have guests. I would like to interview people in the community, see what they think about the game, see how they're playing. I would love to do deep dives into factions like strategy talk, warband composition ideas at various gold levels, especially I feel that 500, 1,000, 1,500, and 2,000 gold are going to be the big ones. Anything over 1,000 gold is where you start including huge bases, the big titans, or a lot of extra elite troops, uh, really something like this. The sky's the limit on this game. I'd love to do model reviews, uh, maybe some game news. I'm not sure if that would work out or not, because we all get the news at the same time. But we're probably looking at about an episode a month right now, just so I don't run out of content to talk about too soon. We'll see how that goes, though. With more things coming out every day, I don't want to make a schedule and stick to it if it doesn't work out. I'm also thinking of maybe having a YouTube channel, uh, maybe doing some battle reports so people can see it and talk about it in the comments, too. And hopefully that'll happen as soon as the apocalypse is over. We'll have to see, right? But I think I covered everything I really needed to in this pilot anyway, so I'd like to thank Alex and his family for making such a fantastic game. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. I look forward to your comments, your critiques, your criticisms, anything that you want me to do better, any questions you have that you want me to cover in future podcasts, and we'll see where this goes. So thank you for listening. My name is Nick, coming at you live from Mount Orion, and have a wonderful Mildark day.